Hey guys, how you doing? I have a very special guest today. He's one of the guys I've been trying to get on the show for a couple months. He's a very, very busy man. He's ESPN's Ben Baby. Ben, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well, Ice Man. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Like I said, I, I've uh, seen you from the bridge many, many times. You know, I go up there on the bridge and watch the uh, Bengals practice, and I finally get to get to meet. Well, I met you in person at the Holy Grail, but I finally got to get you on the show, so I'm very, very happy uh, that that has happened. Uh, I'm glad, to, glad you're on the show. So yeah, no, I appreciate you. Uh, you appreciate you having me on, and uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a good time right now if you're a Bengals fan. I mean, uh, right now it's a there's a lot more excitement than there was back when uh, you saw me on the bridge. I mean, that you saw uh, yesterday at Reds opening day, the fact that you had uh, you know the ovation that you did for Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Zach Taylor tells you what kind of vibe there is in the city heading into this 2022 season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think this town is uh, turned more into a football town than a baseball town, to be honest. And with the statement from the we were talking about the Reds, the statement from the uh, Reds owner Phil Castellini yesterday of basically, you know, take it or leave it, <laughs> kind of what he said you know, to Reds fans. And I never thought I would say this, but I think Mike Brown looks like the better owner right now than Phil Castellini does. That's that's just a very interesting uh, statement he he said to all Reds fans. Yeah, you know, I, I think when you look at it yesterday, I, I thought that was kind of a, a strange comment from an owner to make. Obviously, uh, you know, he to be honest, he 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 has a he has an interesting point in that basically because they have monopolized MLB baseball in the city. If you would like to go to an MLB baseball game, uh, you know, that's where you have to go. But I think it's a very short sighted approach. We've seen even you know my beloved uh, Arsenal Football Club in England. Uh, whenever fans aren't happy with the team, what happens is they stop showing up and the club loses dollars and they decide a change must be made. So I, I you know, I think of fans, you know, th I think it's going to be an interesting battle between the city and the fans and how much do you love your club enough to not show up essentially. And, and that sometimes, unfortunately, is the only way to get your message across. And, you know, I don't cover the Reds, but it's a, a very fascinating situation that you see play out. We have, you know, on the other side, it's been interesting that the, Ownership, the way that ownership has been viewed in the city, specifically around Mike Brown and the Brown family, has taken a complete 180, I would say, since I got here in 2019. You've really seen them be engaging uh, with the fan base. Elizabeth Blackburn, Mike Brown's granddaughter, has done a fantastic job with that. And then I think you've got to give Katie Blackburn a lot of credit as well for, for not only some of the, the decisions she's made, but also you know, making sure that, you know, the, the club is being steered in the right direction. And I think collectively that front office has done a lot. And, you know, it may just be as simple as they they found out that they've got a guy in number nine in Joe Burrow that's going to maybe bail them out of this franchise. And, 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 you know, I think that when you have a guy like that, just embrace it, lean into it, and give him whatever resources he needs to succeed. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing. And, and, the, and the Bengals are reaping the benefits much like the Reds could if they feel the winner. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that's that's the interesting thing. And it's, you made a great point there of, of the changes that Elizabeth Blackburn and Kate Blackburn had made. And you got to give credit to Mike Brown; he's allowed it to happen. And it all focuses around you know number nine here behind me, Jackpot Joey Burrow. If it wasn't for him, I I don't know if the changes would happen as much as they are right now because they're actually talking about uh, it's in the works that they're probably going to have a indoor practice facility uh, by the time the season rolls around this year. It's a temporary one, but. We've been talking about that for what twenty years at least to get an indoor practice facility. I know Pat McAfee always makes fun of the Bengals for not having one, but that's actually going to happen, and that that's shocking to me. I never thought they would do that, to be honest. Yeah, you know, it's really fascinating because you know, at the end of the season, Zach Taylor 
very clearly stated that the Bengals were not in need of one and basically said, you know, we play in a lot of outdoor stadiums. You know, there, there's really not a need for us to use it. We only use it a couple times. And then all of a sudden the Bengals go out and they get the bubble, uh, which is a very temporary fix, like you said. And it's something that, quite frankly, is very cheap and very easy to do. And the fact that it took them this long to do this is quite surprising. And I would love to get a better explanation as to why the franchise waited this long to go with that. Uh, you know, moving forward, because when you look at the expenses that they've made on the stadium, even in the last few years, a bubble would rank not even in the top. You know, I would have to go back and check, but definitely not in the top three and maybe not even the top five from what it costs to build that. And so, uh, you know, like I come from the state of Texas and my, my high school's got an indoor practice facility, uh, a permanent one. We've had one for a long time. My rival high school has one. The one across the street has one. So, I, you know, it is just something you have a lot of winning programs or just they, they understand that having an indoor facility is part of that. So the fact that the Bengals yet again are doing something that says that we're changing as a franchise, I think that it, it's not important necessarily to the outside uh, folks outside of Cincinnati. I think it was really important, you know, going back to this whole conversation we've seen about the Reds in the last 24 hours. I think that at the even at the end of last season before the playoff push, I mean, I was at – that Chargers game when there was nobody really at this in that game. And it looks like a very, and I was stunned because this was a, a Bengals team that was in the playoff hunt, uh, obviously a team that was good enough to win the Super Bowl, as we saw. And yet there wasn't really a lot of support locally uh, for the franchise. And I think the front office has had to win a lot of fans back because there are a lot of people who just didn't believe that they were good enough and, 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 and willing enough to field a winner uh, for a city that obviously desperately has wanted one for decades. And I think that, the, you know, they've done a lot of things over the last few years to show that, but until the Bengals made that Super Bowl run, you know, I think that's what it was. That's what it took to really get the fans to believe that, okay, maybe things are heading in the direction we've wanted them to. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's knowing that, that the organization cares about you. And that's, that's where I think fans, have, that's the way I, I felt it for, for years is, is that they didn't care. And and just I, we keep going back to what Phil Cancellini said yesterday. That's kind of what he said. He doesn't care what what the fans think or what they feel like. You know, if you don't like it, then they can move, which is absolutely a, a, a ridiculous statement. You're not going to move the original uh, Major League Baseball team out of Cincinnati. I think they got like a 50 year lease or something like that with the city. So good luck on trying to move move the team. I don't think that's going to happen. But it, it, but that's the thing where the Bengals have finally changed and, and they've given they've listened to the fans. I mean, for years we wanted the ring of honor. We got it now for years. We wanted uh, an indoor practice. Really we're getting. And the funny thing is those two things really have nothing to do to, to benefit the fans and, and to benefit the, the experience that we have going to the games. But we can talk about the, the, the things they changed at the game time with the, the new entrance and the king, the rule of the jungle and all the amenities and everything they, they they've done to enhance the game day experience. So they have done stuff just for the fans to en enhance the, the the experience. That's the part that I think is the biggest change for the Bengals as far as getting the fans back is showing that they care. And it just seems like the Reds' ownership just doesn't care. Yeah, I think that what, what maybe franchises across all sports, and I know at the college level this has definitely been apparent, and that now there are so many more entertainment options. Uh, that people have at their disposal. You can you can stay at home. Uh, you can watch TV. You know you watch the games on TV. You can go somewhere else. Uh, you can find other things besides sports to keep you invested and interested in your free time. Uh, we've got so many entertainment options in the palm of your hand, literally in the palm of your hand these days, than more so than we did 10, 15, 20 years ago. And that that's really 
what franchises and sports leagues are competing against. You know, they're, they're competing for your entertainment dollars and your entertainment time. And it used to be there wasn't a lot of options. Now there very much is. And so you have to be aggressive in that. I think we've seen that uh, with, with especially with, uh, with Elizabeth Blackburn and what she's done and the enhancements that have been made at the stadium the last couple of years. I, I think that, you know, they're probably, I, I would, you know, it, it is interesting to note that the Bengals are doing all these things right as their lease is coming to an end. And if we're going to, you know, if you want to be cynical about it, you know, the, the Hamilton County taxpayers are the ones who will be controlling the purse strings at the end of the day. So you would want to keep Hamilton taxpayers happy if you would want them to pay for, you know, potentially a new stadium or anything like that down the line. I, I, I would imagine there probably is some sort of co- correlation involved in that. And that if you if your tax base isn't thrilled, you're probably not going to get what you want moving forward. So, uh, you know, I think that the fact that there has been a lot invested back in the last couple of years has been important, but, you know, Cincinnati, I've been here now long enough that, you know, just finished my third season. And if you are a, a good business person and you know what it takes to build a successful franchise and whatever it is, it could be the local UDF or it could be the local sports team. There is an opportunity to make money, uh, but you have to do it the right way. And I don't think fans, the fans here are smart enough that they don't want to be shortchanged. And I think that's what we've seen in the Bengals fans. And, and a lot of the changes that they've wanted, they've got. And it just so happens that, you know, they now have a team that's good enough to, to really compete for a Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. And I know a, a lot of people get upset about how, if you, they get a new uh, uh, stadium or a refurbished stadium or whatever that might happen in, in the future here, that it comes from ta- taxpayers' money. But ninety percent of stadiums right now is coming from uh, other, you know, taxpayers' money. And, you know, it, it, that's just the way it is. I mean, I think I, I read somewhere I can't remember which stadium it was, but the state actually, the state itself in general helped uh, rebuild that stadium. And I know we here in Ohio we have two of them, so it had to be the Browns and and the Bengals. But I mean, honestly, both stadiums were built about the same time, so. Not saying that's what they should or shouldn't do, but that could be an option. But that is something that does happen not just here in Cincinnati, but it happens everywhere. Right, right. You know, it's a it's a big nationwide discussion that's occurring. You know, how much should, should companies and teams uh, pay for for their own stadiums? Should that burden be placed on the taxpayers, or the taxpayers getting their value, uh, or the teams who who you know are pretty wealthy by and large, should they be the ones having to pay for it? And the teams will argue, is it worth? the economic impact we bring to the city. I think Katie Blackburn referenced that at owners meetings, pointing out um, how, how much visibility Cincinnati has and the effect it had on the city, which was all very, you know, that was all realized. And that was, you know, that was not hyperbole as well. You definitely got a sense that the city was more united than maybe it's ever been. Uh, maybe since the big red machine was running. And, and that's w- obviously well before my time here. Uh, but, you know, that, th- those are all interesting dynamics and we will definitely see those discussions play out with these Bengals. And, you know, now it's going to be that, you know, this team is going to be winning. And so maybe those p- discussions are going to be a little bit more palatable for, for those who live here locally. So, you know, outside, I know this is, you know, primar- primarily not a lot of things that we talk about in sports, but at the end of the day, you know, sports is a business. This is a, a number one thing. I know that the games are what we talk about, you know, who's winning and who's losing, but at the end, you know, this is the one of the most lucrative American enterprises that we have is running a pro franchise and the amount of money that comes into it. So, you know, it'd be foolish not to look at the financials, much as like we're looking at how much guys are worth, what their contract situation looks like. Is somebody up for a new deal? At the end of the day, you've got to look at where the money's at in sports if you want to know what's really going on. But, you know, it's not as interesting and maybe as sexy as as the games, but I I think they're really fascinating and really important. Absolutely. And one thing about the Brown family, too, is this literally is their family business. I mean, I mean, because we talked about the – 
the contract that Deshaun Watson just got signed, the two hundred and something million dollar guaranteed. Well, their owner, he owns the Flying J, I think, gas stations or something like that. It's a, so he's a, he was a billionaire before he even bought the Browns. The Browns are billionaires because they own the Bengals. <laughs> that's 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 their family business. So, so legitly, this is their business. This is all they have. So the, yes, for them to to satisfy their consumer, which is us, the fans. Makes that's why I used to. I never understood why <laughs> it took them so long to do it, but I'm so happy that it's happening now. Now we got the draft coming up here, so we're kind of uh, rotating into that right now. Uh, Bengals are at 31, and for me, it's coming down to three guys. I think uh, if Tyler Lindenbaum is there, uh, Booth or Elam, I think one of those three. There's a good shot that one of those three are going to be there. What's your thoughts on the chances of one of those guys being there and who are you taking? And if not them, then who? You know, it's a really good question. I think it does depend on who's going to be there at the, at the, at the right spot. It's, it's hard to project, especially when you're looking at all three of those guys, I think they all bring different things to the table. If it's, I would have a sense that when you look at the Bengals drafting history, it makes sense that at that point you would, you would feel they would get the best available outside cornerback. I know that there is a belief that inside the building that, I think it will be difficult to get a guy who played who played inside corner, slot corner in college, move him to the outside. I think Jalen Petrie played a lot of inside corner, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So right. I think it would make sense for him to project as maybe a box safety uh, moving forward. Uh, and and that wouldn't be a bad pick for the Bengals. I mean, the thing is, is you know we talk a lot about how well they've done in free agency the last few years. Well, that comes with a caveat in the fact that they haven't really drafted as well as they've needed to, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So. I think you can look at basically any position and it depends on how, what your drafting strategy is like. You know, I, I think that you could have a lot of best available options and put them there and say, okay, you know, whatever we can get our hands on, let's go ahead and do that. Uh, you know, it, I think there probably is a decent chance, you know, not, not, you know, I have just speculation on my end that one of those three guys, you know, there's a good chance at least one is available. And if you feel like, you know, you're you know, an interior lineman or a center and a, and a quarterback, which those positions of need are about equal, taking either one, I don't think the Bengals are going to go wrong there. You know, I, I do think that they do need to supplement depth. They do need to answer some of these questions. I think safety is going to be a big concern for them after this year. You know, are you going to have Jesse Bates and Von Bell back? You know, are you Jesse Bates going to come back in 23? That's going to be my big question mark because, you know, right now I just, if I had to, if I had to bet on it, I wouldn't expect Bates to get a new deal. I mean, the Bengals have had all this time to get one done. Katie Blackburn in the statement announcing the franchise tag all but said, you know, we tried for a while. It just hasn't worked. And I, unless Jesse's willing to budge on his terms, I can't see the Bengals budging on theirs. And if you're Jesse, you know, you've, you've held out for this long, you might as well see what you're going to be worth on the open market next year, you know, and go from there unless the Bengals are going to give them a franchise tag again. And that may cause some additional consternation. Uh, so we'll see how this plays out. I think that the Bengals do have a lot of options at 31. Like I, you know, I, I haven't mock drafted a ton on PFF, but you know, I, I do like you know going. If you want to get a safety, get a safety, and if you want to get a, honestly, if you want to get a wide receiver, I know people are going to crucify me for this, but when you look at what Cincinnati's done and where the league's headed, I think having three good receivers isn't a bad option. And if you can get maybe a guy on the inside, you know, to play well. That, that's, you know, if, if the Bengals drafted a wide receiver, I could, I think that's totally justifiable, uh, especially when you look at what this offense is, when you've got an elite quarterback and when you've got Jamar Chase and, and all of that, you know, those are going to be, uh, you know, you want to give him as many resources possible. So, you know, I would, that's not something I would roll my eyes at if they did, but I think logical sense, uh, you know, you know, says that they'll end up taking a corner or an interior lineman, which I, as again, 
I think both those options are very good. Right, exactly. And I want to get back to the, the Jesse Bates conversation. This is one we've had a lot of discussions here on my show. And uh, the thought process for me is that I feel that his agent is not doing him justice. I, you know, his agent is the one that's got all the money for Deshaun Watson. And um, he got uh, the money for somebody else, too. And I can't remember who is a top of, off the top of my head. But the point being that Jesse Bates has come out and said, I don't have to be the highest paid safety in the league. Well, I think his his agent is trying to get him there, you know, and the Bengals to me are not going to do that because you are hanging over their head. They got jackpot Joey Burrow, his contract's coming up. They got T Higgins coming up. They got Jamar Chase, and you know they want to sign all three of them. And with I'll just keep pointing out there was Stephon Diggs signing a ninety six million dollar contract extension, and to me T Higgins and Jamar Chase are both better than he is, and they want to sign Joe Burrow. That's a lot of money. There's, there's not going to be enough money to go around for everybody. That's why I think Jesse Bates should, if he wants to stay here, he, you know, take what they're giving because I, I think they're probably giving him a, a good offer. There's probably not the guaranteed money and all that stuff that the Bengals really just don't do. Right, yeah, and, you know, it, it may not be until Joe Burrow is up for his deal that the Bengals change their strategy on guaranteed money. He may be the guy that eventually says, okay, this is what I want. And honestly, if you're Joe Burrow, I would just get, I mean, I, I, there's nothing that Burrow hasn't gotten since he's been here. It seems like everything has been catered towards him. So, I mean, for him to get basically everything he'll be asking for, that would not shock me in the slightest. And, and you know, you got to remember with Jesse Bates, and I think Bates is a phenomenal player. I don't think the Bengals make it to the Super Bowl without him Absolutely. for how good he's been defensively. I think that, uh, you know, he is, his, his value should not be underrated. And he's probably worth, to be honest, that much money. When he's playing that well, he's worth as much as any safety in the NFL. Uh, you have to remember that that uh, Jesse Bates actually fired his previous agent to get David Mulligetta. Uh, so, you know, Bates was previously represented by Chris Coy, who did a great job uh, with James Bradbury and got him his big deal uh, with the New York Giants. I believe that was in 2020. Uh, but, you know, they went ahead and, and, and Jesse switched agents, went to Mulugeta. So I, I, that tells me that that was kind of the intention from the beginning. You don't hire Mulugeta without wanting to go get a big contract. And, and to be honest, I don't I don't begrudge any NFL player for getting those deals because you never know uh, how long you're going to be in the league. And this is your, your prime earning dollars and your prime earning time. So get as much money as you can. But, you know, even at the beginning of last year's training camp, I got the sense that the franchise tag was going to be the way things go. I think that, that that's just how much – uh, they, they value that positionally. When you look at the Bengals, they don't draft a lot of safeties in the first round. Uh, you know, by and large, you know, they got Jesse in the second. It's worked out for them pretty well. You could, there's a, I, I imagine there's a school of thought that says when everybody else is playing really well, you don't, you shouldn't have your safety doing a whole lot. You know, if you have your front sevens playing well, you don't need your safety to bail you out with going downhill. If your corners are playing well, then your safeties, you know, should have, you know, they should just be, you know, insurance. And it's in some degree. So maybe there is some semblance of that thought I, that that is un unclear, but you know, when you look at it, you know, everything that we've seen tells us what the Bengals do value in a safety. And, and so that may be, I think, part of the equation that we're not accounting for, but all things considered, I think that the Bengals will be happy to get Jesse back for another year and then maybe see if the sides shift next year. And if not, then they go out and see if they can replenish that spot. But like you said, there's going to be a lot of questions coming up about all these guys on the roster who are going to be due new deals. I mean, you could just go down the list and all the guys are going to be contract eligible this season uh, after this off season. And then the year after that, and there's going to be a lot of money to be spent. And it's kind of the curse of having a team that's so good and so young and the Bengals will have to make some decisions. And that's really shows you 
what it's like to be consistently good in the NFL is that it takes a lot of moving parts and you've got to be very good at balancing those budgets and skill sets. And, it, you know, if, if that all is stressful for some fans, I think there is solace to be had in that the most difficult thing, though, is that you have to have the right quarterback. Without that, nothing really works to a certain degree. And the Bengals definitely have that guy in Joe Burrow. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something I've told Bengals fans, too, is we're going to have to, unfortunately, get used to saying goodbye to some of our favorite players. That's just the nature of the beast to 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 keep winning. You know, to, when you have this this window, however big or small this Super Bowl window is for the Bengals, you know, you're, you're going to have to, to say goodbye to people. They're not going to be able to keep everybody. Now, that being said, with the free agents that they've signed in the defense, that's where I keep thinking that the, this could be a very heavy defensive laden draft for the Bengals because there are so many guys on there that are older. I mean, they're not you know old, but they're older, and their contracts are going to be coming up. So these are the guys that they're probably going to have to replace. They're probably going to have to let go so they can you know keep Joe Burrow, especially Joe Burrow. They're, I mean, they're going to sign Joe Burrow. I'm not worried about them signing Joe Burrow. They, like you said, they have given Joe Burrow everything they've wanted. I'm more concerned about keeping Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. I would like to keep both of them. And that being said, like I said, the defensive guys might be the ones that they have to replace with this this draft, upcoming draft. It could be very defensive uh, laden draft, and which isn't it's not a bad draft to to, to draft defense in for for this dra- up yeah, this upcoming draft. Yeah, you know, I, I think this actually is a pretty good defensive draft, like you said. If you can go and you know get get a corner, get a get a couple safeties, you know, maybe get a linebacker again, uh, get an edge rusher or an inside rusher. Uh, I think, you know, you could, there's a lot of options to be, to be had there, depending on how they feel about this team moving forward. And, and to be honest, you know, I, I had this discussion with Dan Horde, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago in that, you know, no matter who you get, you know, I think it is defenses have such a tough job right now in that these offenses are going to be so good and they're just only getting better. And then, you know, the Bengals are going to be a prime example of that is that you, you can just hope and pray to stop an offense <laughs> like this, you know, it's yeah. that, you know, when you look at it, I mean, I think we can all agree that Marlon Humphrey is probably one of the better corners in the NFL. And Jamar Chase absolutely decimated him mm-hmm. in, their, in their meeting. And that's kind of a scary proposition if you're a cornerback is that these wide receivers are getting so good that, you know, you're going to have these type of type of matchups on a regular basis. And you've really got to be creative with your scheme. Uh, and I think that's why Luan Arumo deserves a ton of credit. I know that he was under fire the first after his first two years, and, and rightfully so. You know, when you look at how the defense fared, and I think he deserves so much credit for what he was able to do. Uh, for you, given the pieces that he had last year, I thought he did a fantastic job, and the front office deserves credit for giving him an improved roster to work with. But because, to be quite honest, as much as we talk about everybody on the offense, the Bengals, uh, you know, the reason they almost won the Super Bowl is because of the defense. The offense did not play well in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I think anybody who looks at the metrics knows that's the case, and it's the, the defense that had bailed them out. Um, not just in the postseason, but at various points throughout the year as well. Uh, you know, you go back to that Denver game that really turned the tide, and that was the turning point of the season because if they lose that game, you know, the Bengals are losing three straight, and, and the postseason's probably looking pretty, you know, those, those chances are looking pretty slim. And instead a guy makes a play, the Bengals were able to to go back and get that win. So, so I think that when you look at it, there are going to be a lot of challenges for defenses moving forward. You know, that blueprint that Cincinnati had last year may be one for a lot of teams moving forward. You know, trying to find ways to be creative with your scheme and really keep offenses on their toes because these quarterbacks are so good and these receivers are so good and these play calls are so good that if you keep giving people the same things and the same looks, they're going to figure it out. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how the game progresses. But 
you know, like you said, the Bengals do need to address some of these things because they can't, with all the guys offensively they have to spend money on, you can't continue to spend on the defense like you have in previous years. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I want to bring up a point you said is is the offense is, ta- is, is going to be taking over. The offenses are just getting better. And the Bengals did this with a very inconsistent offense. And everybody kept asking me, when, when do you think the Bengals are going to have a consistent offense? And I kept saying, when the offensive line is consistent. Ben, they got three of them, baby. <laughs> and they got one of the best right tackles in the league. I think Lyle Collins is, is the best right tackle we've had probably since Willie Anderson. Now, I'm not trying to sh- short short change uh, uh, Smith, um, Andre Smith, but Lyle Collins is, is a people mover. And to give Jackpot Joey Burrow time, I mean, Ben, he could actually have a five-step drop. I mean, Joe Mixon, I don't know, could actually – make his first cut beyond the offensive line. What a concept. I know Joe Mixon's not been able to do that. So this offense could be scary good next year. And I, 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 this is a big number I'm throwing out there, but there's a chance I think the Bengals could throw could average about 40 points a game. I know that's, that's a big number. It's the greatest shoe on turf. But when you got Joe Burrow and uh, Joe Mixon and, and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and, and Hayden Hurst, I think Hayden Hurst is going to be an under – of uh, not undervalued, uh, yeah, undervalued free agent. I think he's really going to have a career year for the Bengals this year at, at tight end. Yeah, you know, I think I think you, that Hurst definitely has the capability of doing that. When you look at how he runs and, and what he does in the passing game, he definitely has that capability. Uh, and you're not wrong. I, I firmly believe this should be one of the best offenses in the NFL. Uh, when you look at everybody they have on that roster, the fact that the offensive line is improved now, there is no excuse for this not to be a top three offense at minimum. Uh, when you look at the guys on the edge and in, in Higgins and Chase, Burrow, Mixon, Hurst, uh, you know, I, I think that there are going to be plenty of resources at their disposal to be good. If they stay healthy, this should be a top three offense. And I think your banking it does put a lot of pressure on Zach Taylor as a play caller uh, because, you know, like you said, like, there's no more excuses. You know what the weakness was that the offensive line was not good. And we saw that in the postseason last year as much as Zach Taylor defended the offensive line. It's very clear that as a play caller, what he was doing in the postseason was vastly different from what he did against Kansas City. I mean, the Bengals, when they beat Kansas City in the regular season, opened it up and let it fly, and there was no reservation about you know that offense. And we saw what that looks like. I mean, Jamar Chase was setting records. Joe Burrow was setting records. It was just an unbelievable performance at the end of the season when when Zach was really able to you know get in his get in his toolbox and, and really dig into the playbook. But you know, when in the postseason, that really wasn't there. So. You know, we really do need to see that offense look like it did at the end of the regular season. And, you know, like we saw in that Bills-Kansas City game, you know, so that, that may be what it takes to win in postseason games. You've got to be able to go out and sling it out. You've got to be potent. That's what Kansas City's banked on for so long. And and they've, for the last, you know, four or five years, they have been the best team in the AFC. And it's not a coincidence. It's because their offense has been phenomenal and they've given a lot of resources to, to surround Patrick Mahomes with and they've let Mahomes do what he does best. So I think that's a, a very good lesson for the Bengals, and you're going to need an offense to be that good, especially when you look at how stacked teams are getting around the AFC. I mean, I hate to be in the AFC West this year because, you know, the team that finishes last and misses the playoffs, I'll tell you what, they they still might win other divisions. I mean, that's how good they're going to be. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Bengals to repeat, and I think that if they have an offense, they'll be able to put that pressure and keep other teams, you know, uh, you know on the back foot. Yeah, this is what I've been I've been calling it. The the uh, AFC is is the varsity, and the NFC is the JV. I mean, it's it's ridiculous the the amount of, of talent that's in just in the AFC alone, and and 
getting back to Zach Taylor and his play calling, I know he came under fire a lot last year. And I kept kind of defending him because I'm like, he can't do everything, you know, at the beginning of the year because Joe Burrow's coming back for his knee injury. And then throughout the whole year, you know, the offense line was ne- never a stable thing. And when, and when it was stable, the games that were was stable, like you said, the Kansas City game, he let it fly. They slung it all over the place. Jamar Chase uh, had more rece- receiving yards than Patrick Mahomes had throwing the ball. I mean, that tells you a lot right there. So, and, and that's where I think Zach doesn't get the credit as far as the play caller he is because he knew going to the playoffs – the offensive line wasn't that good. You you had you didn't have Riley Reef there. You 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 had you know Deontay Smith or 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 Jax Carmen or Akeem Adeniji, whoever they were going to put at, at right guard. You weren't sure what you're going to have there. So the whole right side was was not stable at all. It, it got it got worse in the playoffs. And Zach Taylor was able to coach around that all season. So to me, you say the pressure's on him, which it is. The pressure's on him. The pressure's on the Bengals to to repeat. But I think the pressure might be off of him because he's like, holy crap, I can like I got this whole half of the playbook I couldn't even use last year, and now I can use it. So this could be a really explosive offense, and I'm really excited to see what Zach Taylor can really do in in, in a, a full offensive season. Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I think you I think you're right. But you know, like 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 I said earlier. You know, now that you have the offensive line, you've got all the re- receivers, you've got the quarterback, you've got the running back, you've got everything at your disposal. Now it is up for Zach to go out and and, and show that, you know, that, that what we saw at the end of the season wasn't an aberration. And, you know, I, I think that we have to look at it and say, OK, you know, this is an offense that should be good. And, and I think that you're going to see Burrow get more ownership of the offense as well. You know, we wrote a story on ESPN, you know, after the the combine about him being a a franchise quarterback and not just in the way that they work the offense, but also in, in all the decisions that are made and in Joe Burrow's inputs going to be very much valued, much like it was for, for previous quarterbacks. But, you know, Burrow definitely wants that. I talked to Duke Tobin at length about that. And I, I think that when you look at what this offense can do, I, I think that when you have Burrow operating as well as he does, and now this is his first real NFL offseason, to be quite honest. He's not yeah. worrying about the pandemic. He's not worrying about rehabbing his knee. He's solely focused on getting better. And that's, what's going to take up most of his time. And I think that's another component that we haven't talked about as well. And that, you know, he's going to have a very, this is going to be the first normal off season he's had in, in a very long time. And so to see what that does for his development, I think is going to be really fascinating. And I think that, you know, Zach Taylor has done a lot of good things. I think the fact that, you know, he was able to survive the hot seat as well as he did. I, I very few coaches are able to keep their composure and not crumble when they know that they have to win games or their job is going to be on the line. And for Zach to not only keep his job, but to go to the Super Bowl and get an extension shows you that, you know, he has something that a lot of coaches are just do not have. I mean, a lot of guys have X's and O's ability, uh, and but they don't have some of the other intangibles. I think we know Zach Taylor has those intangibles, but you know, the, the question is going to remain, is the offense going to be where it needs to be with him as the play caller? And I think that's going to be the biggest question moving forward. And and we saw that answer to some degree in at the end of the regular season last year. But now with all these pieces, you know, can this be a really good offense? And, and to be honest, given what we saw against Baltimore, against Kansas City, and at various points, I think it can be one of the best in the NFL. Yeah, Ben, you you just got me fired up right there because I've said that before. This is this is Joe Burrow's first normal offseason. I mean, he had his first, you know, had rookie year coming in from the national championship. Then we had the pandemic and and you know, no fans in the stands, and he hurts his knee. Now he comes off the Super Bowl. Woo, this is gonna be fun. I cannot wait to watch this game, this team play. But uh, we got till September, so 
I'll be up on the bridge watching it. I know you guys will be down on the field covering it. And one thing I, I do want to tell you this too is, is I know people will talk about the indoor practice f- facility we talked about earlier in this broadcast that, you know, we don't really need it till like November, December. That's not true because I was out on the bridge when it was a freaking downpour <laughs> and, and I was stuck. I'm like, all right, whatever. I guess I'm going to get soaked. And they stayed out there the whole time and practice. And I'm sitting, I'm thinking all, all the time in my head, like, this is why you need an indoor practice facility. And it was November. So it, it wasn't, it was very, very cold. And Zach Taylor thought I was nuts when I, when he came back from the practice and he saw me standing there, he goes, you're out here all the time. I was like, yeah, I probably should have brought an umbrella. That would have been, been smarter, but I didn't. But anyway, Ben, you've me almost a half hour. I appreciate it. Tell everybody, uh, obviously your articles, you're from ESPN, anything else you would like to plug before I let you go? No, I think that's it. You know, on Twitter at Ben underscore baby, obviously the, the ESPN, uh, have the ESPN app. I have the Bengals as your, your preferred team on there. Uh, that, that'll get you all the stuff that we have uh, from our site. We're really excited. Hopefully, uh, you know, for another good year, uh, putting out some good content. Now that we're back in the locker rooms, I think that all the reporters are really excited about getting to know some of these guys a little bit better and giving fans better content than they've been getting uh, the last couple of years. And I think you're definitely going to see that once we get back in the locker room. So I'm, I'm really excited and, and this should be a very fun season to cover. Yeah, absolutely. You guys get back in the locker room is going to make your job a lot easier. And it's it's we're getting back to normal. And that's that's a good thing. That's always a good thing. So, Ben, I appreciate you. You have a wonderful day. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, Ice. See ya.